My life of fire started, I believe, when I was very young and would eat at grill houses all across Tel Aviv and Jaffa. That smokiness from the grill with the fresh baked bread really took my heart. Hi, welcome to Light My Fire, a conversation with me, Caroline Hopkinson, and the head chef of the Barbary, Eyal Yegaman. I remember as a kid cooking with my mom. That was the most amazing and intimate moments and, and the deepest conversations. Today, we'll be discussing how cooking with fire made us human and how it lit the way for developments in not just gastronomy, but language, arts and culture too. Hello. So um, this is really exciting to be here. My name is Caroline Hopkinson. I'm a food artist and anthropologist. I am working since 12 years as an artist working with food. That means events, experiences in the multi-sensory field. Um, I'm an absolute food nerd. And um, three years ago, I realized that my practice is anthropology of food. So I decided to dig even deeper and, and, and completely study it. I've just came back from Greece where I did an ethnographic study on the way people live. It's one of the blue zones on Ikaria. Where people live up to 105, 106 is the average life age. So I'm really excited in my life about all different rituals and food rituals. And I've just been experiencing the most amazing lunch by Eyal, which is really a love letter to human ability to cook and control fire. But I'll let you introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Eyal. I am the head chef and co-founder of the Barbary in Covent Garden, London. I am originally from Tel Aviv, born and raised in Israel. The Barbary is a restaurant that celebrates that cuisine, and um, we focus on basically uh, cooking with fire. We have a massive grill in the middle of the restaurant and a uh, massive tandoor uh, oven that we freshly bake our breads. And um, before we opened, we, we, I researched uh, deeply uh, into the whole culture and, and heritage of, of you know, the most pure and, and old way of cooking uh, just with fire. So uh, I'd like to think I know a thing or two about that. Fantastic. So today we would like to talk about how we evolved into the humans we are the moment we started to be able to control fire. And there were two really big jump starts to evolution. One was when we started to actually eat meat rather than just graze and gather. But the second moment was when some really bright spark had the fantastic idea to put the meat he just hunted onto the fire and start to barbecue it in a way. And obviously, other than it's absolutely delicious, it's really interesting because you know, it's easy to forget what we would be without fire because fire gives us warmth. It protects us from predators. It gives a signal to friends. You can use it as communication or the earliest moments of communications were smoke signals and fire signals. And there are some fantastic theories that we would be incredibly hairy if we wouldn't have fire because we... Um, we would gather in the evening around the fire so we didn't need it so much fur to keep us warm. But I think it's really interesting even when we say we don't use fire nowadays and using fire as a way to go back to our earliest roots. Fire is hidden in our everyday life continuously, whether it's hidden in the boiler we use in order to have hot water or the engine of our car. We are completely dependent on fire. It's just sadly it's not visible. But I think it's interesting how we connect to our ancestors the moment 
we have flavors like Eyal's lunch today, which is very smoky because we connect straight to our forebearers many million years ago. And I think that's when we become human because that's the difference between nature and culture. It's, it's the moment we managed to give control and shape our life, we started to make culture. So I like the idea that cooking with fire gave us music and poetry and first of all, storytelling, because people gathered like in many fantastic cultures around the fire, you wouldn't make one fire each, you would make one communal fire. Yeah, that, that, that is something that um, we picked up on the research for the restaurant, which was amazing to find out. Basically, I'll tell you just a background, the Barbary is reflecting the, what used to be called the Barbary Coast, which is the coastline that used to connect North Africa to the Middle East. So we're talking Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, all the way through Egypt. Um, Israel, Lebanon, and what we discovered were that there were tribes, barbarians, traveling through that coast, gathering ingredients, gathering influences, gathering cooking techniques, moving forward, and you know, the next place they would teach the people there. And with every tribe, what used to happen is that the alpha male, the chef de village, used to go in the morning and hunt, come back in the afternoon, they used to build a big, big bonfire in the middle of the village, the bonfire was as big as the people that it needed to, to you know, have around. He used to cook everything there and hand it out to the people. And that was the dinner of the village, everyone eating together um, the grilled food. And that's how we build the restaurant. We have the grill in the middle, and then we have the people sitting around. I think that really represents um, the cultural effect that cooking with fire, you know, and the social sort of uh, circumstances that everyone knew that once the fire was lit, once they can smell the smoke, they know that everyone's going to get together now. Yeah. Anthropology looks a lot at ancient tribes in order to learn about our here and now. So it's really interesting looking at the Andaman Islanders of India, because for them, fire is the first thing they take. Um, when they think about taking a journey, they physically take fire with them. And it's a possession that distinguishes humans from animals in the most straightforward way. It's that transition from nature and culture, and the cooking culture is often the purest form of a, a tribe's or a nation's culture as well. It, it is. It's culture. Many people believe it is the one most important sign of um, you know, heritage, of history. It's something that connects you to, to who you are, to your, mm. to your very core. There's a very famous um, French uh, anthropologist, he's Claude Lévi-Strauss. He's the anthropologist, not the purveyor of the genes. <laughs> he, he stated as well that cooking is a defining feature of humanity. Yeah. It's, it's that one moment we become human and it, that's our humanity and our vulnerability as well. Because when someone forgets to make fire, there are very interesting myths around the world. The moment we forget to make fire is the moment we die. And nowadays we know that the reason we evolved is because we learned how to cook. Cooked food is much more highly and densely nutrient-heavy than uncooked food because we spend less time digesting it. Uh, a cow, for instance, they spend the entire day grazing and digesting yeah. food. They don't get to have much time to do anything else. The moment we started to control fire, we had a lot of time on our hands, and that time was used to develop language, create new social connections, and plan in order to create societies as well. I didn't know that the cooked meat is easier to digest than raw meat. Yeah, it's, it's, interesting. So it's, it's interesting that yeah. and it's humanly not possible to actually completely survive on a raw food diet gathered in the wild because a lot of people 
who are raw foodists would be probably people who have access to a supermarket or a health food market. You don't actually gather food in the wild. No, so yeah. if you are a gatherer and you have to forage, not just forage for as a weekend activity, if you physically have to forage yeah. um, daily, it would not be possible. It's interesting how cooking changed our physiognomy as well. Because our brains were bigger and we, we shed our hair and our teeth. Um, became smaller as well because we didn't need those big fangs to claw away the raw meat. It was much easier to talk and to use our mouth to talk. If you have such big fangs, it's obviously easier to grunt like Chewbacca, but it's really interesting that our modern language is completely evolved from not having to spend so much time chewing. I think our voices became, not mine, but more melodic, and you could sing and storytelling, and humans became chatterboxes in that way yeah. as well, I think, the moment we started to Unlike eat. the cows. Yeah, yeah, because, they, again, they, they're busy. They're busy. They're busy they doing other things. <laughs> when you said that um, humans couldn't survive entirely on a, a raw food diet if we had to find it ourselves, is that because we wouldn't have time to find the sheer volume of calories we would need to keep going is is that it or is it because the stuff we buy is more easy to digest it, it, it is i think we would be utterly exhausted and then reports of people in the kalahari desert who are just completely gatherers as well they are absolutely exhausted by the time they they come back and they can only gather enough for the day because that's the sheer volume they need to gather um, but obviously it's easier now, it's a, like the, the middle class phenomenon of a raw food diet is I can go to Whole Foods and I can buy very, the trend for, for fruit and veg nowadays is to be very sweet and ripe, they're not unripe foods, so they're very highly nutritious and dense, so obviously every time I gather in, in Whole Foods I can forage the, the best apple anyway, it's very easy for me, whilst you're in the wild it's, it's a full time yeah. job. I was reading in a book recently that in certain parts of Scandinavia it's actually illegal not to have a functioning wood-burning stove oh, in, wow. your, in your property because in, in certain areas, you know, if, if the power goes out... Oh, you're it, reliant it, It's on so that. cold yeah. that um, without the facility to heat your home and cook, people will perish... So it's, it, you have to have the wares to make a fire if, if needs be, which is quite interesting. I think that's really interesting yeah. because I think it is about subsistence and being autonomous. And I think it's amazing how, how very little like of us would survive in, in case we wouldn't have electricity. And I think it's really scary in that way that we don't have those skills. But I think the, the knowledge of those skills is almost we taste it and we remember it every time we eat cooked food. Yeah, yeah, I think about it. Sometimes that, you know, we are at the stage of evolution that some things are being left behind and, and just unnecessary. I think that's why um, fire and cooking with fire is, is now very popular because, as you said, it, it sort of brings us back, step back. This is fire. This yeah. is the way that food is supposed to be cooked. This is the flavors of, of you know, this is the deepest flavors that, that we have. Yeah. Um, yeah, it connects us to our inner humanity yeah. in that way, that it's, that's us that made us human and that, that distinguishes us from beasts. But I think it's really interesting that gathering you know, or clustering around a fire, it is that warm feeling yeah. of not just eating and the, the protection and the warmth. The moment I know that I control fire, it is a bit almost like a control of myself as well. It's really interesting in that in ancient Greek, um, the word for cooking, butcher and priest, 
we're all um, the same. It's called Magueros, and that stems from the word magic. And I think it's really interesting because it's cooking is the magic that is actually happening in our everyday life. And it's really important not to forget that, that magic. The moment we put food onto fire, the magic is happening. It's a transformative um, power Didn't behind it. think about it like that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very nice. Do you think it's the control elements that gives the satisfaction of the fire? Because a fire is dangerous and a fire is destructive and can be lethal. So is it, do you think it is the control of the fire that gives the satisfaction? I think so, because the, the moment you control fire, you show that you're human and not animal. I mean, uh, it is the moment, like, I can control it, I can tame it, I'm in control. I am overcoming nature. There's nature, which is threatening in the term of fire, but the moment I am, I'm showing nature who's boss. There's something about, I think there's something about that uh, aspect of, of uh, taming the fire uh, and that sense of, you know, uh, accomplishment and, and being stronger than nature in a way, you know, even in, a, in your own backyard. But um, it's interesting because at the restaurant we, we have the grill section. You know, there's one chef on the grill uh, per service. And uh, I am fortunate enough to have uh, sort of a mixed um, men and women in, in my team, uh, 50%, 50% at the moment. And I have two girls working on the grill, and they are incredible. Yeah. I mean, and it's different than men. It's different. There's something more elegant. There's something more contained and sort of, you know, confident in relation to that, to that fire, which yeah. is it's interesting to see. Yeah, really interesting. I just ask, I mean, maybe this doesn't happen anymore, but when I was growing up, you know, blokes who wouldn't go into the kitchen from one end of the year to the other would become total control freaks in the garden when it came to the barbecue. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, there are sort of some gender issues around it is. cooking yeah. and, and fire still. Yeah. I mean, just wondered if you could say something about yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think most people who create the fire, if they're universally true or to tent the fire or meet over the fire is a predominantly male entity. But... Um, the reason I think there is a gender divide and or a labor divide within a household, many people would say, is because we started to cook with fire in the first place because the men would go out and hunt and the females would stay at home to stoke the fire, not put the food on the meat onto the fire. So we created a gender, like a labor divide within it. So I think at the same time, it is responsible for that gender divide. And then I think it's really interesting, but I think it's that men become almost their ancestors the moment they see fire and meat. It's really interesting. No? So it's a raw, primal, yeah. primal connection. Yeah. And even just uh, serving a Sunday roast, I think if, if you as a female, it's the biggest offense if you would just go up and just start randomly carving into the Sunday roast. No? It's, a, it's a very ancient sort of, I think, uh, cultural thing. Yeah. For going back to fire cooking we have to change our whole mentality and the way we live we have to go back to more of a communal living like a year ago we were thinking of buying a house somewhere and the house had a little baking house still in the garden and the man who used to live there who had died he used to bake bread for the entire street he would fire the oven and then everyone would know that he was going to bake bread and, and he would bake bread for the entire street. But it's kind of like it's a street, so it's manageable. So I think if, if, if we want to change something about how people are cooking, 
we need to first change the mentality of how people react to one another and, and how you come together as a community and, and how you can plan together and say like, okay, so I've just installed a pizza oven in my garden. If you guys wanna like do together and, and if you, you're gonna be at home every Saturday and we'll just bake bread for everyone and that kind of thing. But everyone's so on, on their own at the moment. And if we can change that, I think so many other things will change for the better. In Jerusalem, um, in the Jewish culture, there's uh, Saturday, Shabbat, that you, you're not supposed to cook, you're not supposed to light fire. And uh, there are certain dishes that you put on sort of on Friday afternoon, and it's supposed to last until, uh, until Saturday evening. And um, a lot of Jewish food, a lot of the, you know, an amazing uh, array of uh, dishes are, are because of that sort of um, situation. And uh, what you said is, is exactly a story that I remember that there was a neighborhood in Jerusalem who built a huge oven, uh, a wood oven, a wood fire oven. And what they did is that every family on uh, Friday afternoon would bring their pot with bread or with stews, chunt or chamin or, or everything. And they would put it, it, everyone together, and then the next day they would come and get it. But everyone put their food together in the same oven, would say, have a nice, Shabbat, and then the next morning would come and take it. And it's such an amazing, you know, um, sense of community, sense of, of... Saving energy as well, because if you're going to light a fire, you must make sure that you make the most of it, because yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's using up energy. Yeah. When, the, when everyone's put their bread in the oven, in the communal level in, in Italy, then when the bread comes out, they'll put their flasks of beans in there together, like all mm. the anti-bottles yeah. of beans in there using everything, every energy that the fire has. Uh, that is really important. We can't just approach over fire cooking as something fashionable. We have to think about how do we use this energy? How do we use yeah. the first heat, the, the biggest heat, and then the, the leftover heat? But I think sadly cooking and food has been so industrialized and commercialized, so it's been almost taken away from us. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the idea of, you know, cooking community, like a communal cooking office, obviously it's really hard to organize and Italy has fantastic cooking and baking culture of bread culture. And I think that's something that's only been lost 20 years ago, that you had those communal ovens where all the females would come gather together and, and make, the, make the bread as well. But I think sadly nowadays it's something that has been sold to us by other bigger companies. And I think we've been sold Hovis bread as the baker option. That's something that is liberating us. And I think the big industrial companies they really sold us the dream and we really believe the dream that we need to be freed from the chores of our day, everyday life and cooking and making bread. So finally we are free. So in the same way that we are free to stop chewing like the cow, and we're now free not to bake bread and I can just put a really badly made Tovis bread into a toaster. And I think that's, that's something that's an awareness which is definitely coming back nowadays as well with, with that cooking culture, hopefully. Yeah. We've talked all the time about savoury things on the barbecue, on the fire. What sweet things do you Did use? you not have my banana now? <laughs> fruit is uh, the one thing that comes to mind. Uh, sweet fruit will caramelise very well and the smokiness will, will, uh, will be amazing with, you know, peaches or, or bananas or, you know, something that has a rich, um, a high sugar, um, natural sugar, will caramelise very well and will go with a little scoop of creme fraiche or a nice vanilla ice cream, that, that sounds good. Uh, I'm sure 
pastry-wise, there's there's lots of things that uh, can be done on the grill. Um, you know, from cakes to to sort of sweetened flatbreads, and you know. Well, thank you very much. I think that's really really fantastic. This program was brought to you by Soho House and Radio Wolfgang. It was co-presented by me, Caroline Hopkinson, and head chef of the Barbary, Eyal Jägermann.